So, uh, life is binary. There's a daily decision you and I need to make, and the decision is this. At our core, uh, am I going to live in the flesh or in the spirit? Like, that's it. So are you a flesh person or are you a spirit person? Now, you might have been going to church for a while. And if you're in our particular tribe, you might not have thought of yourself as a Holy Spirit person. You might have thought the Holy Spirit people are those crazy charismatic Pentecostals somewhere else. But actually, the fundamental definition of a follower of Jesus is somebody in whom the Spirit of God lives. And we are defined in Paul's writings, in Romans, in Scripture, as spirit people living under the influence and in the power and with the energy of the Holy Spirit. But it seems like we can choose what sort of shape our life is going to take. Is it going to be a life that is lived according to the flesh or a life lived according to the spirit? Now, of course, you might say, Mark, what is this flesh of which you talk? And that's a good question. Uh, and how does it all fit together? Um, and, and how do I practically change? So I'm glad you asked those questions. Let me try and in ooh, 10 minutes uh, give you a little overview of how we can understand uh, our lives, ourselves, uh, life in the flesh. So this is, um, we as human beings have a, a variety of parts that make us up, that, that constitute us as, as living beings, don't we? We have bodies. You have a body, and this body of yours has desires. Okay? Um, and they're just, we know what our desires are, desires for um, the three Fs, food, fun, and loving. Um, it's a joke from my university lecture days talking about various parts of the brain. So we, we have these desires. And, and, they are, and, and sometimes in the church we can think, oh, desire is a problem. No, 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 no. Desires are not a problem. Desires are just what our bodies have by virtue of being bodies. The question with our desires is where do we direct them? How do we seek to get them met? So we all know the challenge. You walk down the street and you have in front of you a choice. Do I buy that ice cream? Or do I buy the steak or the broccoli? Or do I fast? You've got a choice, right? Uh, you're hungry. You want food. How are you going to get that desire for food met? You have a desire for human connection. We're made for that. The question is, how are you going to get it met? Okay? How are you going to get it met? Now, in addition to our bodies, what else do we have that constitute us as human beings? We have minds. We have a mind. 
And a mind you can think of uh, made up of uh, our thoughts, our feelings, and, and perhaps even our imagination, right? We have this ability to imagine. Okay, so you can think of mind in those terms, right? Do we have anything else that makes us up as people? Intellect versus intelligence? Instinct versus intelligence? Yeah, so, uh, yes, okay. Instinct versus intelligence. What else do we have? That spirit, soul, okay. Well, we'll put soul down here and just put a... We'll bracket that because we don't need to talk about it right now and it gets a little complicated, but a uh, soul is... Uh, we have a nature, yeah, yeah, we have a nature. Yeah. I'll tell you something, you haven't... Just think about this. And it comes under spirit. We have a will which actually I think biblically we can think of as the spirit, our spirit. And the will is, the other word for that in the Bible, is our heart. Now our will is the thing that makes us fundamentally who we are, because what is the role of the will? To choose. It's your will that gets you to choose between the ice cream or the broccoli. It's the will that gets you to choose between uh, treating people manipulatively in order to get your needs met or choosing to love and serve them self-sacrificially. Our ability to choose is what makes us who we are. And you and I, in the context of our bodies that are given to us, our choices are what make us over the course of your life. You, right now are an accumulation of your body, your genetics, your social context, and then your choices. That's who you are. Now, which goes to the final piece, which I just mentioned here. Um, I'll put it up here. Your social context, by which I mean the people in your life, your relationships. This is, this is fundamentally what constitutes us, right? Uh, does that make sense? And it's really important to understand how this all fits together. Okay, so now there's only two, there's, there's two ways to order these. And how, who, the, the question is, what is directing our will? What is shaping our choices? And Paul in Romans 8 says really simply, uh, that what happens is our flesh with its desires become primary in our lives. When we're cut off from God, what happens is we, we're driven by getting our needs met, right? That's sort of, and then the flesh, as it were, uh, directs our wills. So I, I then choose on the basis of what I desire. I'm controlled by the flesh, my need for approval, my need for sensual gratification, my need for reproduction, my need to be loved, uh, my need for food. These things now are the calling the shots in your life. And then your will, then you choose... Uh, your will directs your mind, your thoughts and your feelings, and then as a result of that, you take certain actions uh, 
which have an impact on all your relationships. Okay? Does that flow of authority and direction make sense intuitively? And, and, and what can happen here is we end up doing things that we don't really want to do. Have you ever had that experience? You go, what I really want to do is eat healthily today. And what I end up doing is going to McDonald's and eating lots of ice cream and chocolate. Or what I really want to do is get some exercise today. But what I end up doing is binge watching Netflix, the show on tennis, you know, following the Grand Slam, these young tennis players. And I, I, I find it much easier to watch other people get exercise and get it myself. But that's not what I, what I really want to do. But I don't do what I really want to do. I do because I'm actually... And, and then, of course, the problem is my desires vary all the time, don't they? Like what I want to do, if, if, I'm, if I'm controlled by my desires of the flesh, then there's no coherence or order to my life. And I end up misusing people. I, I don't treat others the way I want to be treated. I don't love them. Uh, and my choosing, my will, is not directed, is not informed, and doesn't steer me in the direction of the true, the good, and the beautiful. doesn't steer me in a direction of love. Because it can't, because it's ultimately thrown back on itself. So that's the... Okay, make sense? That's a, that's a description of us. And the problem is, uh, who and what is controlling us at this level? This is kind of the key level at which we need to work. The alternate vision of this is the Bible's vision, which says, guess what? The Holy Spirit comes to govern us. And the Holy Spirit works directly on our, on our wills. Or our heart. God gives you and me a new heart, a new, uh, a new capacity to choose the good, the true, and the beautiful. And then my will, guided by the Holy Spirit, uh, will then direct my mind to think and feel and imagine that will then direct my body and over time my body's desires so that through my body I take action that are always good and loving. That's, that's the structure of the Christian life. That the Holy Spirit guides, comes and renews me from the inside, works on my will, and then I choose what I think about, I choose what I feel, and as I do that, my mind, under the guidance of the will that is shaped by and empowered and energized by the Holy Spirit, means that I only choose to do those things that are good and loving. Now, what's interesting then is my desires are then in this order. My desires themselves are shaped by the Holy Spirit. 
So over time, I only ever desire to have my desires met in a way that will result in me doing good and loving things for other people. I'll give you an example uh, of the way this might work. Um, uh, over the years, in my own experience, in my family of origin, and in countless pastoral interactions, I have worked with people who are addicts in a variety of, to all sorts of things. So I'll take alcohol, and if, and if this is your journey and struggle, um, and if I get it wrong and misrepresent how you deal with alcoholism, talk to me afterwards. But as I see it, this is what happens in the journey of alcoholism. Uh, the way to be entirely free of your addiction, over, over time, when you start out, you wake up to the fact that you are controlled by your desire for alcohol and you can't say no to it. Then you surrender and you realize you're captive to it. And then you ask a higher power, this is the AA process, you ask a higher power to come into your life and give you the power to say no. And initially, when you are saying no to the desire to drink, it every, every day is a fierce battle. Every moment you are gripped by a desire to drink that you have to yield and surrender to God so that you don't give in to it. Okay? That's how you start the journey of sobriety. The journey of sobriety, the full transformation and freedom from alcohol comes when you no longer desire to drink. When, you're, when your desires are changed so that you don't have that problematic desire anymore. Because now what you desire to do is to be sober so that you can love your spouse and your kids and live a long, productive life. And the problematic desire... Now, occasionally, when you talk to... We, we had a friend in, in, uh, in a previous church who'd been in AA for 40 years. He hadn't had a drink in like 40 years. Um, but he was still aware that, and, and generally he didn't desire to drink, but every now and again the problematic desire would pop up because his spiritual formation wasn't complete. And, and then he'd have to fight the fight, but by and large he desired to be sober under the guidance of the Holy Spirit far, far more than he desired to be drinking. So that is the path of spiritual formation that Paul outlines in Romans 8, and in two weeks' time we'll unpack it a little more. Uh, the question is, um, do you have a vision for your life where you are free from problematic desires? Can you imagine your life, say, free from the desire to drink or gossip, free from the desire to be loved above all else? Free from the desire to be uh, sexually titillated through pornography. Free from the desire to have your own way all the time. <laughs> free from the desire to always have the last word in every conversation so that everyone thinks you're smart. Are you, can you have, have your vision of your life where your will is, is yielded to the Holy Spirit so that all you ever do is good and loving? What does that look like for you? So uh, this is the question that I'm going to put to you. And I'm going to keep putting it to us. Here's the question. Uh, what would a more Christ-like version of you look like in a month's time? 
say God worked a miracle and in a month's time you were substantially more Christ-like under the rule of the Holy Spirit, what would your life look like? And, and if you're struggling to answer that, why don't you ask someone close to you, here's a lunchtime conversation, say to your spouse or someone close to you, hmm, if I were more Christ-like, what would I look like? <laughs> okay? That's the start. Now, our journey as a church is to be a bunch of people who help each other become spirit-led, not flesh-led, so that we become a group of people who live good and loving lives, i.e., we become more Christ-like. Now, here's a vision for those of you with kids who you can still form and shape. What's your vision for your kids? What would a more Christ-like version of your children be like? And how are you helping them get there? So mostly, uh, here's a parenting word, mostly I had a vision in my mind when my kids were little of what a academically and sportingly and relationally successful child looked like. And you execute on that. You know, that's not bad. It's great. I mean, to moderate degrees of success with each kid because they're their own kid. But what's your vision for the Christ-likeness of your child? And how are you executing on that? Okay, so then, there we go. And what we're going to look at next week, no, not next week is we've got African Enterprise guys, friend Simba. African Enterprise is an amazing ministry doing incredible work in Africa. It's very inspiring. So in two Sundays' time, what we're going to look at is the practical steps from Romans 8 on how you become more Christ-like. And uh, it's all about vim. It's your vision. Then it's your intention. Uh... And your, the, the intention has to lead to decision. And then it is the means. Practically, how do you get there? Any spiritual formation, any life change, for good or ill, requires vision, intention, and means. So an alcoholic person will have a vision of themselves as an alcoholic. My vision is I am a person who must have uh, had this alcohol today in order to get through life for whatever reason. I must need the sensory gratification. I must, must need to medicate the pain of life. I can't live with the tragedy of life, so I have to dull it. That would be the vision of an alcoholic. Every one of us has a vision. Everything we do is shaped by a vision. So spiritual formation means changing that vision with a vision of like a life under, that is Christ-like. Uh, and so we've got to do that. Vision intention means we'll talk about that in two weeks' time. Uh, what I'm going to post on Circle is a brilliant article that illustrates this, uh, specifically dealing with the issue of pornography, um, which, which may not be an issue in your life, but I'm sure you'll know someone for whom it is an issue. Um, so I'd encourage you to have a read of it. It's, 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 it's a phenomenally helpful little application of this to a very, very practical issue. Um, which is a big issue in our world. So I'll post that. You can have a look at that. You can have a read. Two weeks' time, we'll come back, and I'm happy to talk. The last thing I'd say is um, we're here together in this journey. The goal is not perfection. Well, it is long-term, but, but the goal is to actually a long obedience in the same direction, to move together to this vision of you becoming more Christ-like, me becoming more Christ-like, and together we're more Christ-like. Make sense? Okay, let's...